Americans are capable of achieving extraordinary things when they have the freedom and opportunity to do so. This is American Potential, and here's your host, Jeff Crank. Hey, thanks for being with us on the American Potential Podcast. Appreciate you joining us. Again, we're talking about government barriers, government-imposed barriers. One of the, and, you know, a couple of the areas that we talk about a lot on this show are education, K through twelve, health uh, education, and breaking barriers there. But then healthcare. Healthcare is a big one, and we we've talked about in the civilian world sort of the imposed barriers that can be broken by things like you know direct primary care or uh, expanding health savings accounts or, you know, getting rid of certificate of need, all these things that we've called, we call them the personal option in healthcare. But one of the biggest barriers to healthcare is actually for veterans. And we've talked about this a lot, uh, the Mission Act and and uh, the, that not being fully implemented by the VA and resistance to implementing the Mission Act. And today's podcast guest is just Another example of that. Um, you know, each of us is unique. We're all individuals, which means there isn't a one size fits all solution. And we talk about this on the show, how we're uh, we're all individuals and how sometimes government tries to put every solution into a one size fits all box of solutions. And as I said, we see that in education where government puts kids in zip codes. And when it comes to healthcare, there's a, this is especially true. And when Congress directed the Department of Veterans Affairs to authorize community care through the Mission Act, veterans received more options. Good for veterans. The law allowed veterans to seek care outside of the one-size-fits-all VA healthcare system. It allowed veterans to seek the care they deemed to be the best not the care that the government thinks is best for them. This is empowering individuals to own their own health care uh, choices and make those without the government imposing a one-size-fits-all approach. But, but what if the system that's supposed to allow for more options doesn't inform you about those options? Today's guest is an Army veteran who was hit by shrapnel and sustained a foot injury while serving. Because he's stubborn, and we'll talk about him about being stubborn, and he didn't receive care for five months, he injured himself even further. And during his treatment, uh, the Department of Veterans Affairs never told him that community care was an option, despite the Mission Act. And he finally had to demand it when a friend told him about this option. Uh, Chris Ingot is our guest today. Chris is a friend of mine. Hey, Chris, thanks for being on. Hey, thanks for having me, Jeff. Yeah, Chris is from Montana, from Billings, Montana, right, Chris? That, that is correct. The great state of Montana, the big sky country. Yeah, we were just talking about all the snow you've gotten. Uh, so uh, it's 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 been dumping snow on you this year, and I guess that's good from a water perspective, but you're ready for it to be nice weather, right? Yes, yes. I'm ready for somewhere to finally be here and be outside in the sun and, and not have to worry about the cold anymore. All right. Now, I was also, uh, Monica told me that you 
you growing up, your grandfather owned an apiary. I've never even heard of an apiary. So, you know, that's how uh, unknowledgeable I am on this. But it's a, that's a collection of beehives, as I understand it. And, and you spent a lot of summers working with your grandfather and farming bees. Is that right? That's correct. Yeah, we'd uh, we'd work out in the bee yards every year. He'd move the the beehives around to different locations based on where crops were. Uh, and then at the end of the summer, we would uh, take all the hives and extract the honey uh, before he shipped all of his bees down to California to um, pollinate in the orchards. So uh, I assume you have at least one horror story out of that, right? Where or do the bees are they're just perfect gentlemen they never bothered you or what (laughs) (laughs) no no they uh they definitely can get riled up um there's uh little smokers that you use to calm the bees down and one time my brother and i were out in the bee bee yards with my grandfather and um he didn't use the smoker quite long enough and the bees got angry when he opened up the hive and he told my brother and i to not come over to the beehives because the bees are mad. And my brother dropped the sticks he had in his hands and ran straight through the bees <laughs> and tried to jump in the truck, but he's trying to swing at the bees at the same time and couldn't get the truck door open. And <laughs> I'm laughing. And uh, finally, my grandfather tells me to go help him get it, get in the truck. And I get in the truck and I'm swatting bees. And I look over and he was swinging so wildly, he hit himself in the face and gave himself a bloody nose. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I, I about died. It was probably the, one of the funniest things that, that I ever saw. So no bee stings, just a bloody nose? Oh, no, he got he got a lot of bee stings. Oh, he got a um, lot of bee stings, too. Oh, even better. Yeah, <laughs> even better. yeah he wasn't wearing a, a veil or a suit or, or anything. And so, uh, yeah, he got a lot of bee stings. Oh, he did. you guys were doing all this without any suits on? Yeah, normally if you can get the bees calmed down, you don't yeah. uh, you don't really have to put the the suit on and the, the if if anything, we'd put a veil on just so we don't get stung in the face. But uh, the majority of the time, if you're just kind of checking the hives out and making sure there's no bacteria or fungus or anything in the hives, mm-hmm. um, they don't get too angry at you, and, and you can just do what you need to do and move on to the next bee yard. Yeah. So did this. I'm interested in the answer to this question. So did this change your brother's desire to interact with bees in the the future after that happened? Or was he still the same? No, no, it definitely changed. He never came to extract with us again. So, um, (laughs) so he was, he was tired of working with bees after that. Yeah. Well, someday I'll tell it on, on this podcast. I'll, I'll tell the story of my brother and I, we were out hunting one time and, uh, I saw a rattlesnake and I, I'm totally freaked by, it. I hate rattlesnakes and I'll, I'll tell the story another time, but it changed my perception and my view. And I never, um, I, I was never the same again. So I imagine the same was true of your brother, but anyway, um, let, tell us a little bit about your military service. First of all, thank you for your service to our country. And, uh, but I would love to hear a little bit about your service. Yeah. So I, I joined the army in 2005, uh, when I was 17 years old. Uh, a lot of people join the service because uh, they feel that that calling to something higher, or they they want the, the college benefits and they want to want to use those to get themselves into a good college. Um, I didn't have the best childhood, and it was my my ticket out. Um, and so I, I joined the army at, at 17 years old. Did split op training, which means I'd go to basic training between my junior and senior year, come back, finish my senior year, and then go to my advanced individual training or AIT. 
and then then join whatever unit I was supposed to join. And so I, I joined the Army as a 13 Bravo, which is a uh, cannon crew member, so I was artillery. And after about a year and a half, uh, artillery is not very conducive to urban warfare. So they transitioned our unit to combat support military police. And so we, we learned to train the Afghan police and the Afghan army. But in 2007, I got hired as a, a master trainer for the Montana Army National Guard Honor Guard program. And so I built a training program in the state of Montana for military funeral honors, was trained by the 3rd Infantry Division out of Arlington, and uh, helped build the program across the state of Montana to ensure that we were giving military honors to all veterans that passed away, whether they're, they're in the service or not in the service. Um, but they just get that same level of professionalism as as they're being uh, interred. And uh, so I did that until 2012 when I deployed to Afghanistan. And I deployed to Afghanistan and, and well, started my MOB training, uh, mobilization training, in March of, of 2012. And in June 20th of 2012, I landed in Afghanistan in Kandahar. And on June 26th, I was injured when an RPG detonated five feet from where I was asleep. And uh, 2012 was when the height of the surge was starting to, to be reduced, and they were trying to bring as many troops home as they could. So if I went to Germany, I wouldn't be allowed to come back to my, my soldiers and my unit. And so I, I decided I was going to stay over for as long as I possibly could. And I stayed over for the next five months just, just tearing myself up. Because I wouldn't, well, I wouldn't go and get the treatment that I needed. Mm-hmm. And uh, five months after, I finally didn't really have a choice; had to come home. I was just too broken to to keep keep going. And came home, uh, got through demobilization training at Fort Bliss, Texas, and back to Montana, where I got connected with the Department of Veteran Affairs to to try to get some of this these physical issues taken care of. And that just started a whole long train of uh, of effects that is, still affects me today. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, did you finally decide to get get treatment? Or did the army tell you to go get treatment? No, the army told me to go get treatment. <laughs> um, so I didn't get out of the military into, until 2017, mm-hmm. and the hope was that that I could get fixed. And, and be able to, to stay in and, and keep my career go, going. Mm-hmm. And in 2017, I'd been in for almost 12 years. Um, and so I, I really wanted to try to keep going and, and at least get to 20 years and, and be able to retire with a 20 year career. Right. Let, let me ask you, I mean, let's talk about the injury to your foot. What, what happened? I mean, what damage was done to your foot? Yeah. So when the shrapnel entered my left foot, it, it, tore a bunch of stuff. Uh, one of the first things the VA found was that the plantar tendon in the bottom of my left foot had completely severed. Uh, and so I was walking around without that tendon actually attached, uh, which caused all three arches in your foot to, to collapse. Mm. Um, and it just, it was extremely painful to put any weight on it and to walk. Um, and they're in country, you know, they tried to remove as much of the shrapnel as they could. Um, they just couldn't get it all. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I, I mean, you continuing to not get that treatment uh, caused more damage, really, to the foot, right? I mean, if you'd been yeah, able well, to get that treatment immediately, it probably would have put you in a better position. Absolutely. and But you have this mindset when you're in the military that you, one of the things that I like to always go back to is what's called the warrior ethos, mm-hmm. is uh, I will always place the mission first. I will never accept defeat. I will never quit. 
Um, and, and those are something that, that I truly wanted to embody and, and I wasn't going to give up. I wasn't going to quit. Um, we had a mission that we trained for and, and all of my guys were going to still be over there doing it. And I mm-hmm. didn't want to leave them. I wanted to keep that, that mission alive. Yeah. Wow. Well, um, so you, you went back and started, uh, when you got back home, you started, uh, getting care, but you, did you know at the time that this community care was an option or not? I didn't. Uh, now at the time when I first came home, uh, because I was a purple heart recipient, um, I qualified for a program prior to the mission act that was called veterans choice. Mm-hmm. And, um, but I was never explained what that meant and what that looked like. Um, I got, uh, in the mail, this little card that said veterans choice, and this was my card. Um, but nobody ever explained to me exactly what that meant. Uh, and, and my provider, um, I mean, I guess most people would hope when they go to the doctor that the, their doctor would have their best interest in mind. Um, and if that meant that I needed to get care somewhere outside of the VA, that that would have been the decision. Um, so I just kind of took it at face value that they were that they were trying to do what was best for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I didn't realize there was any other thing. I didn't know what the Veterans Choice Program actually meant and what it entailed. Um, and it wasn't until, you know, the Mission Act was passed in, in 2018 um, and at that point, I was still receiving care and still trying to get this stuff fixed. But mm-hmm. it, it still wasn't uh, at the point where I could even walk without a cane. I, I still had to walk with a device. Yeah. Is is that a common, like, you know, people in the military, you are, you're part of that team and you expect that people above you and below you will do their job and, and th- that, that you're all part of that team. Did that lead to, does that lead to problems in like, this expectation that the VA is going to take care of you? Because I think a lot of veterans probably come out thinking, well, of course they're going to take care of me. That that's what we do. We take care of one another in the military. Is that a problem? I I absolutely believe it is a problem. If, if you believe that that's what, what they're going to do, then you're not going to try to seek anything, anything else or care outside of the VA because you, you, you just believe that they're going to take care of you. Right. Yeah. I mean, I just thinking through this, uh, that, question kind of came to mind that there is that that ethos that sort of belief that they're going to do what's right by you because you feel like they have you know in in the past so maybe veterans aren't as as open to searching for other options because of because of that because they're and maybe that's part of the transition coming out of the military right too is now now you want these now you want choice now you want these decisions rather than them saying nope you're going to go to this doctor and you're going to do this and that's that's where we're sending you so yeah absolutely well and when you're in the military if you need something from supply and you put your request in or you need something from admin right. and uh you put your request in for for whatever it is it it tends to get taken care of and you get what you need um and you don't have to advocate and fight to get what you need you just you get what you need because that's their job to, to provide that for you. And you expect that the VA is going to do the same thing when you, you put your request in for an appointment that you're just going to get the best available care and the best available appointments you can get. Um, and, and if you don't realize that you can get that appointment and that care outside of the VA, it's not something you can advocate for. Right, right. Well, now, so to continue with your story, because of uh, you went in and had a surgery to repair your foot um, and it was... I guess a botched surgery, but you were put on multiple drugs and, um, what did this, I mean, maybe you can explain that and what did this do to your mental state? (laughs) 
Um, yeah, that's a, and that's a big issue with not just me, but many, many veterans that the VA just wants to try to put a Band-Aid on a bullet hole. And, and we see it all across the country where, where veterans like me go in for, for something, and instead of trying to get to the core and the root of the problem, uh, they, they like to put you on different prescriptions and different drugs to try to mask the symptoms and get rid of the symptoms of the problem. Mm-hmm. And so my first surgery was to go in and repair that plantar tendon that had been severed. And when I woke up, they didn't even repair the tendon, but they removed three joints out of my foot. And still to this day, I have no idea why. And this was done at a VA and, facility? Correct. Yeah. Yes. And, and, and so um, over the next several years, I've, I had multiple other surgeries just to repair the damage that, that stemmed from that first surgery. Uh, my mental health definitely started to decline. Um, I'm, I'm under 30 years old at this time. And, and if this is my future for the rest of my life, uh, there's not very much hope in that if, if nothing's going to get better and nothing is working, uh, and you have to fight every single day for any, any amount of care. Yeah. Your mental health will absolutely deteriorate no matter who you are, veteran mm-hmm. or not. Sure. sure. And, and so we see that across the board with, with veterans. And, and I saw it firsthand that if, if my, my reality for the next 40, 50, 60 years is um, staying home, hopped up on drugs and, and no hope of a better future. Um, suicidal ideations become a reality. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and you know, you're, you're a young guy, right? Um, being able to be, go out and physically do things and stuff. I mean, you're thinking of this, man. I mean, I don't know if life's ever going to get any better, right? Right. Yes, absolutely. So, um, what, as you're looking back on it, what would you have done? Like if you had known about the, the option of going somewhere else that you could go outside into the community and get care, uh, you, you probably would have done that, right? You didn't know that was an option. Yeah, absolutely. I would have fought to try to get that care outside of the VA, uh, with, with somebody else. And, um, it very easily could have, prevented uh, my my suicide attempts i attempted suicide two different times um and it absolutely would have prevented those if i if i had that that little spark of hope that maybe it could get better yeah yeah well uh you're doing much better i mean i know you personally you're doing much better now and i'm i'm, I'm glad glad to hear that and you have a mission we're going to talk about that and the things that you're doing in your life but, but we still have a lot more to go with your story uh, when you finally asked for community care for counseling, what what happened? Well, so let's back up just a little bit because okay. when I first went to the VA, uh, it was right after my first suicide attempt. Uh, I went to the VA and, and told them, obviously, what I'm trying to do isn't working, um, and I need to see a counselor. I need to see somebody to try to figure this out. And they told me that I wouldn't be able to see a counselor for three months, oh, um, and I had to be point blank with them that if I had to wait three, three more months, I wasn't going to be here in three months. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so they finally got me in to see somebody the next day. And, uh, through that process, I ended up seeing six different counselors. And every time that you get a new, a new counselor, you start the process all over again. There's sure. no continuity of care. Um, and that person just doesn't know who you are. They, they may be able to read the notes, but they don't know, understand the nuance of your life. Mm-hmm. And so when you have to keep restarting over and over and over again, there's, there's uh, still, there's no hope in that. Um, and I had a friend who finally said, Hey, I see this counselor outside of the VA and, and the mission act um, allows me to see him. Maybe you should look into that. And, and again, you still have to jump through a lot of hoops uh, to get that authorization for that care, which, which you shouldn't. But 
Um, I ended up having to go to my, my provider at the VA, um, have them send in a referral for, for mental health, then go to the mental health provider and talk to them about why I want to see this person. And then hopefully they, they authorize it and give me the authorization to, to see him. And I pretty much told him, like, I'll do those two appointments, but I'm not doing anything else. I've already jumped through all the hoops. Mm-hmm. This is the person I want to see and who I want to talk to. And I was able to advocate for myself because I had a friend who was there to give me the information mm-hmm. that I needed. Yeah. And that's the frustrating part, Chris, is, you know, the, the VA, if they care about veterans, if the system, again, there, there's good people at the VA, but the system itself is what I'm talking about here. If it cares about veterans, it's going to let you know that because it wants you to get the best care. But but they didn't do that, right? They failed you right. in that response in that regard. They you the only reason you knew this because that you had a friend who came to you and said, "Hey, you know, you might look at this as an option," right? Right. Well, and I think like General Omar Bradley put it pretty succinctly when he said, uh, "We are dealing with veterans, not procedures, with our problems or with their problems, not ours." Mm-hmm. Um, and, and looking at it from that perspective, you know, we need to be focused on the veteran and their health care and not, not the system and not the bureaucracy. And it seemed like it's been flipped where, where the system and the bureaucracy is more important than the veteran and their health care. Yeah. Now, you were also getting physical uh, therapy, but it was not at, I mean, this, this is incredible. It wasn't at the VA facility closest to you. How far away were you and how, how far did you have to travel? to, to the, the closest option that they gave you at the VA for physical therapy? Yeah, the closest option they gave me was Salt Lake City, which is a nine-hour drive one way. That's um, and they had me doing that. Yeah, they had me doing that for seven months. Um, and if you mess up anything on your paperwork, uh, when you're requesting reimbursement for travel or anything like that, um, they will deny the claim and not tell you that it's denied. Yeah. Um, and so I traveled to Salt Lake City seven times before I realized all seven of my travel claims had been denied. So I had to travel um, two states away to get physical therapy care uh, and not be reimbursed for any of it. I had to do it on my own dime. And and how often were you doing the physical therapy at this point? How how what was the I, frequency? I was driving there once a week. Nine hours. Correct. I mean, I, I don't know any other way of saying it, but this is, immo- this, that's immoral to do this to, to veterans. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm off script here a little bit in saying this, not that we have a script, but I just, I mean, it's just immoral to think that that's okay to do that to a veteran. When you had facilities that could do the same physical therapy, like right by you, right? It's probably within, a, within minutes or hour. Yeah, within 15 minutes of where I live, uh, there's a physical therapist that could have absolutely done it. Yeah, but but, um, but that government was a problem back but, then. Oh, go ahead. I was gonna say that's a, that was a problem even back then. Um, but even today, I mean, I have uh, I have a gentleman in Montana that they they had him drive from Kalispell to Billings, Montana, for an eye appointment, which is almost eight hour drive um, for an eye appointment, and he's a World War II veteran, and they had him driving across the state to, to get an eye appointment. Um, which is just incredible to me. Yeah, that, that's that is incredible. The, and again, these are veterans, folks. If you're listening to this, these are veterans. These are people who answered the call, went over and served their country to defend our freedom, our liberty. And this is what we're this is how we're treating them. This this should not stand. And of course, this is why the Mission Act was passed. It's why it was signed into law by President Trump at the time. 
and why the Congress passed it. But we've got people there who are just deciding that it's more important to save the system and the VA healthcare system so that they can keep getting, I'm sorry, they can keep getting paychecks. This, this is not, this is not right folks. Um, Chris, your VA orthopedic surgeon had to fight for a year and a half. And I, this is where I talk about, there are good people in the VA system. And this, this is an example, your VA orthopedic surgeon had to fight for a year and a half to get approval for your fourth surgery that finally repaired your foot. Why did it take so long to get that surgery approved? Yeah. One of the, one of the things that we saw, um, come out of the VA is that they've put this board in between the provider and the decision that's actually made between the care that they can provide to their patients. And so when he, when he put his request in for this, this final surgery, it was denied over and over and over again. And he just knew that, that, that was not going to be acceptable. This is the surgery that we needed to do. And they finally, he finally, after a year and a half, and I'm not sure what the exact reason why they finally approved it, whether it was just to get him to stop requesting it or, or to get him off their back or, or what the deal was. Um, but he absolutely fought tooth and nail to try to get the surgery approved. Uh, and I, uh, you know, you know me, I, I walk without a device now. I don't have a cane or mm-hmm. a walker anymore. Right. So it obviously worked. Um, but there's, there's a lot of um, doctors within the VA and providers that after a while, they don't want to keep fighting just to provide that level of care for their patients that they know is right. And that's why I, I believe that we see such a high, high turnover rate in yeah. the VA is that providers are leaving because they don't get to do what they're trained to do. The good doctors leave, the ones that just get a paycheck and that they're there for the paycheck stay. That's the problem with any bureaucracy, right? Right, right. Yeah. yeah. Well, and, and this is, I mean, it, I, I guess I would put, uh, put this to anyone listening to this. If you're a veteran, you go out, you serve your country, um, you fight, you're injured, you have you know, you're injured in the way that Chris has been injured. And then you're just trying to get care and it takes them a year and a half to get you to get approval within a system for you to go and get the fourth surgery on your foot. And you, you know that that's what the doctors are telling you, you need to have that will fix it. I mean, I can understand veterans complete frustration and almost despair at being treated this way by, by a system that, that we should not tolerate this kind of a system. It's really, really frustrating. Um, any thoughts on that? Yeah, I absolutely believe. And, and when you have the VA and their suicide report of 16.7 a day, or uh, most people have heard of 22 a day, um, or America's Warrior Partnership and their, their study that they came out with that said it's probably closer to 44 veterans a day that are committing suicide. If they're, It's just showing showing me that there is, zero hope within the veteran community that they're going to get taken care of these problems that they incurred because of their military service, because they signed on that dotted line is they're not getting taken care of and they're not getting fixed. Uh, and, and there's no hope moving forward that, that that's why we're seeing these numbers. Um, and we can, we can argue all day long, which one of those uh, studies is correct and accurate. Um, but I think you and I can both agree that one veteran a day is too many. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and again, I, I guess I would just ask uh, in in the world that we live in, and I think of the amazing technology that we have in the medical community. The things, I mean, your four surgery is a great example of that, right? The answers are out there. The only thing that's preventing people from getting care in a lot of cases is it's not access to it. It's it's the decision whether it's an insurance company, 
uh, denying coverage or a treatment of some kind, or whether it's a bureaucracy like the Veterans Administration, this is it's unjust. It's immoral to do this when the answer is right there. It, it, it is right there. These problems, these medical problems can be fixed. And how frustrating it is when the system that you trusted, that you signed up and said, hey, I'll go fight for my country, and you're a part of this team, whether it's the Army, the Air Force, Navy, Marine Corps, whatever it is, um, and you sign up to be on that team, and then at the end of it, it, you know, it's like you're left on the battlefield. You're deserted. That's how many of these veterans feel. Um, it's just- Absolutely. And that's the, the last part of the warrior ethos that I left out was never leave a fallen comrade. Right. Um, and that's something that a lot of veterans, and that's why you see so many nonprofit veteran organizations start up is, is because they know so many veterans are being left behind and they, they want to stop it. They want to, they want to pick those, those brothers and sisters back up and say, no, there's hope. There's, there's still, there's still things we can do to, to get this on the right track. Yeah. You know, and after your fourth surgery, you, you woke up, you were in the worst pain of your life. Um, after some unfortunate <laughs> events, you needed to be sedated again. Why did it take two hours for them to be able to treat the extreme pain that you were in? So when I woke up uh, from that last surgery, the nerve block didn't work. And, and that's not a VA issue. That, that's something that can happen anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, but because of the amount of prescriptions that I was on already and, and the high levels of narcotics that I was already on, um, the dosage of, of pain relief that they would have to give me right then and there to, to make sure I, I could get that pain relief was going to be a high, le- high level of narcotics right off the bat. And so when the nurse walked in and asked what my pain level was, um, I very colorfully explained what that, what that pain was like. And she got a shot of Dilaudid and a shot of fentanyl and gave both of those to me and walked out of the room. And a, the, another nurse had to have passed her on the way, way in the room and asked me what my pain level was. And now I'm even more frustrated because I'm still trying to wake up. I don't know what's going on. Uh, I know I'm, I'm still in a ton of pain. Uh, and she asked what my pain level was. And, and so I, again, explained what my pain level was. And so she got another shot of Dilaudid and another shot of fentanyl and gave me an, another cocktail right back to back, all within three minutes. Um, and, and they overdosed me on fentanyl. Oh. And uh, so they had to get, they had to get Narcan, um, to give me that and to make sure that I, I wouldn't stay in that overdose state and, and die from it. And uh, Narcan counteracts the side effects of any pain medication whatsoever, but they didn't have any prior authorizations to use more anesthesia to put me back out. So that they left me laying in that hospital bed for two hours uh, waiting for the Narcan to wear, out, wear off before they could give me something else. Wow. That's a, that's incredible, Chris. I mean, that it's amazing and it's so frustrating. And uh, I just don't know why we tolerate, why would we ever tolerate this? I mean, it's kind of a hidden thing that unless you're a veteran, you don't see it and you're not up close to it, but the American people ought to demand change here. And of course the mission act was change and it's still taking time to change the bureaucracy, but more change is needed. More reform is needed in my view. Um, are you still getting treated with the VA system or are you going to community care? No, uh, I actually currently use, use my private health insurance for all of my care. Uh, the, the level of anxiety that I get just walking into a VA care facility for my own personal care is, yeah. is so great that I, I just don't want to go back to those, those facilities for myself. 
Um, and, and honestly, at this point, even if I didn't have private health care insurance, I would, uh, I would probably go into debt to, to get health care wow. uh, on my own yeah. instead of going to a, a VA facility. But I, I, but I think you're absolutely right that we got to keep fighting for, for these reforms. And I, that's what I love about working with Concerned Veterans for America is that we're not going to give the fight up. Uh, and why we're going to continue to fight to codify those access standards that the Mission Act put into place to ensure that that stuff can't be circumvented anymore. Yeah. Yeah. And that's that's really important that we continue to do it. I, I mean, I do make the comparison, right, between the the whole school choice and educational freedom issue and and this VA healthcare system. Because again, if we if we care about kids, we'll we'll get we'll build a system around them and around the education that they get. If we care about our veterans, we'll build a system that cares about our veterans and puts them first. And it's it's just that simple. And I think we have lived with the VA uh, and particularly before the Mission Act passed, we lived with a VA that said, nope, this is the care you get. Uh, whether you like it or not, and that that is not the kind of system that we should have in a in a free society that believes in free markets and competitiveness. That we should we should do that. In fact, that would be a system that's going to drive up costs, right? So it's just it's crazy that we've done this to our veterans, and I hope that the American people hear this story, hear others like it, and act and call their members of Congress. To, to, to make sure that these VA facilities are doing everything they can to, uh, to, to improve access to care, to uh, make sure that they are telling veterans about community care options and other things that are out there and just provide this care. I mean, people are tired of hearing the excuses uh, of it. So um, Chris, what I else? Don't right. oh, yeah. go ahead. No, go ahead. I, was say, I think you're absolutely correct that when we have more choice and we have more options that there are, because none of us are the same and, and none of our healthcare needs are going to be 100% alike. When you, when you have those options for a veteran to choose what is going to be the best care for them, whether it's physical care or mental health care, um, we're going to see a transformation within the veteran community. Um, and I like to use the example of acupuncture because I have a lot of friends that have had great success using acupuncture and the VA just recently actually started authorizing acupuncture care in, within care in the community. Um, but ironically, I'm, I'm scared of needles, uh, ironically, because I have a bunch of tattoos. Um, but I know that acupuncture is not going to be something that works for me. Uh, I'm going to have anxiety over it, and it, it's just not going to be that stress relief that I would need. But knowing that it's an option for some veterans that it is going to help is what, what the benefit is. And, and if we can do that with all care and give those options to veterans to choose what's going to be best for them, because if I'm locked into a box that acupuncture is the only thing that's going to help me, uh, I know it's not going to help. And that's, that's what we've done with the VA currently is mm-hmm. that veterans are being locked into this box of, of healthcare saying this is the only treatment that you can have or the only treatment that's going to work. And they know it's not going to work for them because they know themselves and they know their body the best. Uh, and we need to give them those options and those, choice, those choices to, to choose what is best for them. So what, what can people do? If, if people are listening to this, what can they do? Where's the best place for them to go get more information either on community care, what their options are there, or how can they get involved with Concerned Veterans for America? Yeah, the best thing for them to do is to, to go to our website, cv4a.org. Again, that is cv4a.org. And click the button that says Take Action, and they can read all about 
the different uh, initiatives that we have, and, and they can sign letters to their legislators, um, and they can get connected to to our our staff on the ground in those states uh, to be able to start volunteering with us and, and working alongside us to make sure that these reforms actually become a reality. Yeah, and that's really important, and uh, I, I'm glad that, and you do a great job of it, Chris. I'm glad that you're able to to take you know what you did in in the military and the, all the pain and the the agony of going number one through the injury, but then having to deal with all this nonsense at the VA and turning that into something positive, right? Where you're able to help other veterans who maybe find themselves in a similar situation. So I'm I'm glad you're able to do that, and uh, thanks for all the good work you're doing there as well. Well, thanks, Jeff. I, I definitely appreciate it. It's it's definitely become my passion because I know that there is hope out there. And and I want to make sure that other veterans get to feel some of that hope as well when they're feeling hopeless. Because I've I've been in that boat and I know what it's like to feel like nothing's ever going to improve and that it's it's never going to get better. And this is going to be where I, I am for the rest of my life. I, I know what that feels like. Um, and being being on the other side of it, I, I know that there is absolutely hope. And I just want to make sure that our, our brothers and sisters know that it's there and that it's available and, and what they can do to, to best advocate for themselves and advocate for their brothers and sisters that deserve it just as much as they do. Yeah, that's that's right. And that's what this is all about. Thanks, Chris. I appreciate it. Hey, I, I was thinking during this interview, um, most people who don't know you don't know this, but you have a big beard, right? Big, I do. Big, yes. long beard. <laughs> I'm wondering if there's still some bees in that from like that when you and your brother, you think there's still a couple bees living in there? They went over to Afghanistan with you. They served their country as well, came back. What do you think? Is that possible? Well, I'm not sure if there's bees in there, but I, I would say that there's probably some beeswax still in there. So <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> That sounds good. All right, Chris. Hey, thanks for, thanks for joining me. I do appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Jeff. I really appreciate the opportunity. All right. Well, listen, great. Uh, the, you know, what, what, a, what a tragic story that, that Chris tells, but it's, it's, it's just one of a million. It's one of millions of stories that are out there. He's willing to tell it. Think of all the veterans who are unwilling to step up and tell this story. They just accept the care that the VA gives them, and they think that that's as good as it gets. And the VA should be ashamed of itself for not uh, taking this mission act and embracing it in all of its forms and making sure that every veteran knows this is their opportunity and this is their chance to get the kind of care that they deserve because they went when our country needed them, they went and they answered the call. And it is imperative that we keep the pressure on. And so I would encourage you, if you're listening to this, to go to uh, cv4a.org and Make sure that you you get involved, you get engaged, and you keep the pressure on the Veterans Administration. And we have to do that, hold them accountable uh, to this as well. Well, follow us on Twitter, follow us on Facebook and YouTube, American Potential Podcast. Always looking for great stories like this. You can go to our website, AmericanPotential.com. You can share your story there by going to the Share Your Story section filling that out. And we may tell your story right here on the podcast as well. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. Thank you for listening to American Potential. You may listen to more stories from Americans working every day to expand freedom and opportunity in their communities by visiting AmericanPotential.com. 